when you can bring tears to someone, you know you've really hit a certain spot in their soul. I remember performing and there was like two sisters. So I did some magic between the two of them. We did this semi-serious piece. Yeah, they were just fully crying after it. I was like, you're welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the Women in Magic podcast, where we explore the meaning of magic in a brand new way. Through awesome interviews with amazing guests, we'll do a glittery deep dive into the topics of magic, mentalism, performance, creativity, spirituality, intuition, and entertainment to peel back the curtain and look at the power and role that magic plays in all of our lives. Through shining the spotlight on incredible magicians and masters of their craft across the world, together we'll feel completely inspired by their insightful lessons, hilarious stories, and wild adventures. Thank you for joining me on this magical journey. Josh Norbido is a full-time professional wizard. He reached the semi-finals of Australia's Got Talent in 2019 when Judge Nicole Scherzinger gave him the unforgettable nickname Hot Magic Josh. Based out of Brisbane, Australia, Josh is currently touring with Showmen, which is making its way across Australia. So if you're Aussie-based, keep an eye out. Josh has made a career from saying yes to the impossible, and most importantly, his mum says he's really good. Joshua Norbido, beautiful to have you on. Glad to be here. Oh, look at that. With my morning spring. I got a spring in my step, as they say. Oh, Oh, So yep. he just did a spring with cards, <laughs> if you're listening. And then before we came on, he had an actual Rubik's Cube in his hand, but it was solved, correct? Josh, is that part of the illusion? No, well, the hardest part is a magician being able to mix up his cube. <laughs> <laughs> That's what really gets our OCD. In my show, I give away the cube that I use. So I'm always ordering new cubes and you know, I'll have a stack of them. And if they are unsolved... I cannot leave it like that, like this one. So we give it a little shake as if by magic. <gasps> oh, stop it. We're going to have so much amazing video from this. The people listening are just enthralled. Enthralled, enthralled. Now, Joshua, <laughs> let's begin with a beautiful question. <clears throat> Loaded, incredible, <clears throat> magical. What does magic mean to you? What does magic mean to me? Oh, my gosh. I guess endless possibilities in a nutshell because... As an artist, you can sort of create whatever you want. And, you know, it also means a way of making a living for me. But also at the same time, I can do that by just being super creative and having fun and mucking around. And I like to just do whatever I want on stage as long as it's entertaining for the audience. So I'll do magic, I'll dance, I'll beatbox, I'll do whatever I want. That's what it means. Just freedom to, to be creative. Yeah. Love that. And so you do dance and you do breakbeat and you do backflips and you do beatboxing and you do all of these things. Is that to distinguish yourself from other magicians or is that just because that is just part of the Josh package? Yeah, I think it's it's just what I enjoy. Yeah. And I think also like any anything you do, like to have a unique selling point is important. And I think I was reading Steve Martin's book, Born Standing Up, and he's like, They'll take whatever you've got. So, or they'll take everything you've got, I think is what he says in the entertainment industry. So like. Those are two different, quite contrasting statements. <laughs> everything you've got or whatever you've got. Yeah. He basically says any skill you have, it'll take that to get to where you want. So in a nutshell. So like, you know, he's a comedian, but he did magic as well. You know, he played the banjo. And so he would do all of this stuff over time in his acts. So I guess what I'm saying is I was a dancer and a breakdancer and all that kind of stuff before magic. 
And then when I wanted to become a magician, I thought I had to stop all that stuff so people would see me as a magician, not as a hip hop dancer or as a gymnast or whatever. And so for a good amount of years, I was only doing magic. And then it wasn't until later, I was like, oh, I kind of miss doing this other stuff. And then when I started doing this other stuff again, people liked it. And I was like, why have I been putting this to the side for so long? And so luckily, I'm athletic enough to still bring the, the dance and stuff back in my acts. Yeah, just muck around on stage. Muck pretty around. Much. You flip. Yeah. You do like a full 180, 360, up in the air, twirly whirly. Have you ever damaged, have, well, damaged your bone? Have you ever hurt anything? <laughs> Throughout all my high school years, I was trained as a gymnast, so I learned everything correctly. And a backflip is pretty stable. You're not spinning too much. You're just going over. So as long as you just land straight, you know, your joints are pretty safe. Just don't land on your head. That won't help you at all. But yeah, never really hurt myself. I've definitely hurt myself in training and practicing stuff, but never touch wood in an act. So Yeah. Okay. Now, when did you fall in love with magic? I was a young lad and it was a sunny day. Cute old school music. Yeah, yeah. Then, I might even have some of those on my soundboard here. I have lots of little recalls of like seeing a magician and stuff when I was young, but the classic story of, of what happened to me was I was 10, I was given a magic set, which is such a classic move. And I forget everything from that except for one card trick. I remembered one card trick. I learned it really well. And anytime I go to a friend's house or a family dinner or birthday, I would do this one card trick and people would react to it. And when people react to it, you feel good. And so you just want to do that card trick as much as you can. When I was 19, I got casted to be on this TV production called K9 which shot in Southbank and it's like a spin-off of Doctor Who and I'd never been on a production or anything in my life. I just had a day job as a sales consultant in like a fitness. I thought I was going to become a personal trainer when I first left school and so I took a break from a nine-to-five job and started working on this TV production which was super weird and I started just showing this contract to all the crew on the site And it only took me like a week until everyone had seen this card trick that they liked. But then the next week they were like, oh, what else can you do? What else can you do? One trick wonder? (laughs) Exactly. Because I didn't know this, but you would know this now on a TV set or movie set or whatever, or anything you're filming, there's just so much downtime that everyone's trying to fill it with stuff, read a book or do card tricks for people. And so I started to every week, like try and learn a different piece of magic just from wherever I could. Like, I didn't really know where the resources were. So I was at the time trying to look on YouTube, which is great for like learning basic entry, like party tricks and stuff at the time. And so I would just like learn this next thing. And then I learned another thing Then I found like a book on sleight of hand. And before you know it, after six months, I'd really crafted this repertoire of like pretty fun stuff. And then that was the bug. So then from then, I couldn't help it. I went back to this day job afterwards, but I was always like shuffling cards. I would get in trouble for shuffling cards at work. And I would always do magic to like break the ice at a meeting, like before a sales meeting or whatever. Yeah, it ultimately led to the demise of my nine to five job and (laughs) me pursuing uh, the magic. Amazing. Do Mm. you wow yourself with your own magic? Do I wow myself? Yeah, like do you just do some things that you're just like, 
Holy moly, that was amazing. <laughs> well, you know, like, yeah, sometimes. I mean, I definitely <laughs> will, like, spend a ton of time practicing. There's, like, a big mirror here. A lot of my practicing gets done in front of this mirror. And, you know, you get something right and you'd be like, whoa, that actually looked like magic. That was good. Good job. Or I'll watch something back. A lot of times I'll watch like a show I did. I'll watch it back and I'll be like, oh, how did I know to say that impromptu thing at that moment? Like that was really clever or <laughs> whatever. Or, that looked way better than I thought it would. Is that what you mean? I mean, yeah. there are pieces of magic that I do that are just for me, really, because I'm just like, mm. whoa, I can do this. <laughs> And you're like, it's so yeah. good, I'm I'm never sharing this. <laughs> yeah, there is a bit of that, but definitely some, I don't know what the correct saying is, but they're like, you should always do the magic that's best for the audience, like yeah. that they'll enjoy. But a lot of the time, to keep my sanity and to keep enjoying magic as a career, I'll do a lot of magic that is what I enjoy doing. That's not necessarily like, maybe there are things that could get a better reaction, but I think I would go insane if I just had to do those effects all the time. So I'll do yeah. stuff that's like maybe more difficult for me, but knowing that I pulled it off is a better sense of uh, accomplishment. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. What do you love most about magic? What part of this drives you, inspires you, motivates you, and lights you up the most? No, I kind of hate it, actually. Um... <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, it's, it's all just drop weight back to your nine to five, mate. Yeah, that's it. Oh, oh, mate, I don't know if I could even function in a nine to five anymore, to be honest. Every year I just try to do something that scares me or pushes me in terms of magic. So I guess that's what really inspires me is like, what's the next thing that I haven't done yet or would really push my limits? That inspires me to keep going. But then just seeing really good magic from other magicians inspires me or magical things in other art forms mm. that inspires me to make more shows or to keep going because you definitely when you're doing it for a long time you definitely have those dry spells where it's just you haven't had any inspiration lately and you're like oh all right go to the next show go to the next show and then uh you'll see some great act or some little piece or some video and you're just like oh my god all right let me try and make the best show i can an example would be the jabberwockies let me take you back, guys. So America's Best Dance Crew was a TV show in America, and dance crews would come on and battle. It was really great. And then the first season ever, this dance crew named Jabberwockies, they all wear a white mask, so you can't tell which dance is which, so you're forced to watch them as a whole. They won the very first season. And then from winning that season, they toured the world with their act and then they landed a residency in Vegas which they still have today so this mm. was like over 10 years ago this is 15 years ago probably that they first won this anyway I got a chance to go see them when they played at the star at the Gold Coast and it was like the most magical non-magic show I'd ever watched not because of like magical things happening but because of how they would move to the music in the show they have all their music composed specifically for them and like hearing the bass in the room mixed with like how their their bodies would move at the same time i was like if i ever have a chance i want to make a magic show that has that same feeling as what they did but i would love to do the magic show version of the jabberwockies show so that's an example you see really great stuff and it just gets you going yeah that was a long answer what that inspires was- you? I should, have just, I should have just said like, oh, my mom inspires me. Or like that. Uh, would you like to say anything to your mom? 
Yeah. Hey, mom. <laughs> my mom is in every one of my bios. What do you call it? Um, introductions. So like. Yeah. Yeah. She's proud. Yeah, exactly. She is proud. I always have like few notable things I've done or whatever. And then at the end, the MC will read out. And P.S. is mom. This is really good. So. Yeah. What is your ratio of learning new magic versus mm. performing? It's a lot of performing. It's definitely changed because in the beginning, I would spend every night staying up till the early hours of the morning, learning, crafting, learning like different coin things, how to roll a coin or how to do a, a certain move with a coin or whatever. For example, like doing stuff like this and then yeah. just these little movements, I would just spend, I would be obsessed with it. Now I'm just a bit more particular with what I spend my time learning. But it's super important because otherwise you just get not bored, but it's very easy to lose the fun in it if you stop yep. learning when you're doing it to perform and make a living from. Like that's one of the funny things. Like I love that I can make a living from doing magic, but I kind of wish I didn't have to. I know I would enjoy magic a lot more, mm. but I certainly enjoy it a lot more than having a, a job I don't enjoy, but certainly <laughs> I would enjoy it more if I wasn't having to do it specifically to make uh, money from it. There's a big scale of life here that you've just mapped out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. What phase are you in right now? Like, are you learning every day or are you like oh, yeah. now finessing stuff you've learned? No, I, I, I am finessing, but I am head over heels in love, learning, yeah. kick off every morning learning because I'm just inhaling and inhaling and inhaling and love honeymoon it. stage. Yeah, enjoy I'm so it. in honeymoon. Yeah, thank you. You're like, <laughs> enjoy it because it will Keep only going. last. <laughs> use that moment, use that time to just absorb as much as you can. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for the uh, words of wisdom. On that note, what is the hardest lesson you have learned in your magical career? Wanting to do it professionally, a lesson I learned was that to get work as a magician, you have to be seen working. That was something a guy named Sam Angelico taught me. That's not a super deep thing. It was just like a lesson I learned early on that really helped me career-wise. Another lesson I learned is that you can't absorb all the good stuff people tell you about your magic because they've never seen magic before. So, of course, you're the first magician they've probably seen. They're going to say you're good. And then uh, if you absorb that too much, you will think you're the best magician ever. And then you'll meet another magician and you'll be like, oh, damn, they're really good too. <laughs> and it, it creates a weird dynamic. So the first thing I learned was like, just don't listen to what people say about your stuff. The stuff you listen to is the in the moment stuff. So like if they're laughing or reacting to your magic, great. You're doing a good job, but don't let what they say after that affect how you perform, whether it's good or bad. Take it with a grain of salt, I guess. Another lesson I've learned is when you start doing magic, all your peers, all your friends that do magic as well are all on the same boat and you're all sort of cheering each other on. And then you had this thing, this thought that, oh, the more successful I get as a magician, successful as whatever that term is, the more my magic friends will be rooting for me. But what ends up happening is the more you start to climb that ladder, the less people are actually rooting for you in terms of magicians. I mean, you find out who your real friends are in the magic world, but that's not the thing that builds that camaraderie. I guess an extreme example is I've spoken to Dynamo before, but I've also spoken to a guy that's older that watched Dynamo growing up. You're familiar with Dynamo? Just yes. before I continue. Okay. Yes. Okay. I think the whole world is, but just, you know, in case. So Dynamo, he had great chops as a magician, 
but he would go to, I think it was called the, the Covent Gardens or something in the UK. So he would go to this place where all the other busking magicians would be and they would all busk and they would all do their magic and he was friends with all of them. Then a producer found Dynamo. This is cutting a lot of stuff out, but a producer found Dynamo there, took him away, made him a massive TV star. Dynamo's like, oh, cool. All right. Now that I'm successful and I'm on TV, let me go and help my friends out. And he goes back to that same place where all the buskers were. And the magicians there didn't want a thing to do with him. They're like, hey, you left us all behind. Like, we don't want anything to do with you. And he's like, but I did the thing we were all trying to do, which was to make it. And then he kind of learned, yeah, this weird lesson. Like, it's, I don't know what it is. And I'm sure it's in every industry, but it's uh, a weird dynamic, I think. It sounds like you're describing tall poppy syndrome, which is our Australian version of, you know, root for people until they get reach a level of success and then pivot. Right. That's probably, you know what? That's why we have a keynote speaker like you here to actually <laughs> pick apart what I'm t- trying to explain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure that happens everywhere, but that was just a weird lesson I learned as a young magician starting mm. to to try and make it as a living like the guys who were still doing it as a hobby yeah didn't hang around as much after that it was it was super weird anyway okay on your second point which was don't listen to everything that everyone says because people mm. will say you're amazing because it's their first experience of magic what is the most wonderful as in wonder dash f u l l experience that you have given to someone else where you have just blown their mind that has just stayed with you forever? That's a good question. When you can bring tears to someone, you know you've really hit a certain spot in their soul. I remember performing and there was like two sisters. So I did some magic between the two of them. And by the end, they were both crying with joy, but just like overwhelmness. That was pretty cool. And that wasn't even like a big show show. That was like a private event. But I just remember it so distinctly because it's not usually a common reaction from magic when you're trying to be the fun, bubbly, like, hey, watch this, watch this. But then we did this semi-serious piece. Yeah, they were just fully crying after it. I was like, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, how did you, what do you do with that emotion? Did you carry it? Did you hold it? Did you just go, okay, cool, now for a card trick? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's some sponge balls. (laughs) Wipe your eyes with these sponge balls. They're very absorbing. That's it. That's it. I got a tissue in my wallet. Oh, it's a fire wallet. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Before you answer that, I just have to say the first time I ever tried to light something on fire, I almost blew up my study and it was Joshua that said, do not use a tissue. We just have to call that out. <laughs> do you remember that? I do. Yeah. You learn these things, you know. <laughs> that's right. That's funny. So I just let them sit in that moment and I just, I definitely didn't do anything for them after that moment. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when it's people's first real time, having one-on-one experience of magic, the stunned in silence, I really enjoy. Sometimes you do something, they'll be so stunned and they might even like be shaking a little bit. They're like, what just happened? That's kind of cool because, you know, you've just shown them something that they've never seen in their whole 40 years of being alive on the earth. Mm. That's pretty awesome. But really, these days, the best compliment that I get is when someone will rebook me to have me again, or they've seen me at an event and they loved what I did so much that they'll actually pay me to come to their event. I guess in the long run, that's what you end up finding out the people that really did fully enjoy what you did. 
Is it they want to see you again or they want you to be in front of their friends and family? Certainly aim for crying. Crying is a good emotion. So, yeah. <laughs> so on that note, when you do hit the stage and it's time and the show begins, mm. what is your main intention? What's the main goal? I mean, if I'm going on stage, it's just to do the best show I can in a nutshell. I did a few shows last week and I was like trying some new things out amongst the show because I was trying out new stuff. I was like really super present in the moment because I had to think about a few things that I would normally wouldn't have to. So in my head, I was just like, all right, we're going to make this a banger. Let's make this work. I'm always looking for every opportunity to make the show better. So like while I'm going through the show, I'm like looking at how people are reacting or things they're saying. I'm trying to hear so I can like go off that and come back to it or make something seem more impossible because they've just asked for something to happen that maybe I'd planned to do already, but I can work off what they just said, stuff like that. So I guess my main objective is let's do a great show, but also let's try and observe the audience and make the show better, like in real time. Yeah. Uh, It requires a lot of energy (laughs) to do that, but it's a good payoff. Are you looking for amazing new magic effects? My friends at Global Magic Shop have an incredible range of hand-picked exclusive products directly from magic creators. These unique magic and mentalism effects, coupled with their huge online catalogue, provide the perfect additions to any street magic, stage magic, close-up magic, corporate magic or party repertoire. Head to globalmagicshop.com.au and use the coupon Jordana for a 10% discount for all new customers. So tuning into that and reading the audience and picking up on the vibe, what role yeah. does your intuition play in your magic? The shows that I come off stage and I'm like, that was a good show. It's because something happens in the moment that's not planned. Intuition, I guess, is a big part, like especially trying to pick the right spectator. A spectator coming on stage can make or break your show. So you have to have pretty good intuition, a good vibe on how you go about picking that person what have you noticed them doing while you're doing something else? If I'm doing a close-up magic booking, so if I'm at an event and I'm just roving around, mingling, doing magic amongst the cocktails or whatever, I'll always do like a test effect first for the group, like something that doesn't involve anyone. They're all just watching, but it lets me kind of vet them to see, okay, who's going to be good as a spectator? Who's going to be the heckler in this group? Who do I avoid? All those kind of things. Yeah, so I always do like this warm-up effect that will help me gauge that audience before I actually get them to participate. The same thing is on stage. I'll always spend the first five minutes of me just being on stage before I have to get the help of anyone because I just don't know yet what they're going to be like. So that's all your intuition, basically, feeling the vibe, reading the scene. Do you think there's enough talk about intuition in magic? Because I think the intuition is magic. They are just completely linked. Yeah. Sometimes weird stuff will happen, hey, that you just don't even know how to explain yourself what happened, how you made something happen in the moment (laughs) from intuition. It's wild. But yeah, it's probably not taught enough, but it's also like how can you teach it unless you get first get to the point of having a really good show or being comfortable with your show or having worked on your show. You can't really start with intuition first and then try and learn a show. I don't know, I guess there are steps. You kind of have to take the steps to be like, all right, what's next to make the show better? What's next? What's next? And then once you think your show is good, then the next bit is how do we make the show better? And it's the audience that can do that. Yeah, which also comes from the the better you get, the more you trust yourself, and the more we trust ourselves, the more we're in the moment. 
So that's the joy and the most beautiful part mm. of performing is being completely trusting in the experience and not having to think about what you need to do, which is where we're immersed in the magic. Totally. Yeah, what's that called? Unconscious competence. It's all happening and you can just focus on the, the extra stuff. And intuition, it's the same thing. I like it. Let's write a book yeah. about it. It's good. Dun, 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 dun. Collaboration coming. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was terrible. I don't sing yet. No, we can auto-tune it. Fine. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he pulls out his magical musical keyboard for everything other than auto-tuning my voice. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for the support. <laughs> hey, I can only help my end, all right? I can't. Ah, but ooh, I don't sing. Ouch, ouch. You don't sing, but you do beatbox, which I was going to ask you for at the mm. very end, but it's always a good time. So <laughs> how about we make up for my unexpected vocals by just completely transforming this pod into a beatboxing moment of glory for yourself. All right, everyone, clap at home, all right? We like to move it, move it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. God. So that was actually coming from you and not your soundboard. No, yeah, that's all me. That's all me. Amazing. <laughs> what areas yeah. of your mouth and vocal cords do you activate to make that magic happen? It's all in the lips and in the in the throat, I guess. Magic helped with learning beatboxing because of the patience thing. It takes a lot of patience to learn magic and it definitely takes a lot of patience mm. to teach your mouth how to make sounds it normally would never make. So, yeah, if you want to be a beatboxer, be a magician first. <laughs> okay, good. I love that. I love that. How long have you been practicing this passion of yours? In high school, I remember learning a little bit because Joel yep. Turner was like really big on the scene with Australian Idol and he really was the Australian beatboxer and he won the uh, Grand Beatbox Championships, like the World Championships of Beatboxing. He won that. So I remember like learning a little bit, but it wasn't until I did Australia's Got Talent in 20, it would have filmed in 2018 or something. Originally, I always learned how to do like the Snoop Dogg, like the beat, but I couldn't do a whole heap else. So in my magic acts, I used to just muck around and do that beat when the audience was like shuffling the deck of cards on stage or something. And then I did it on Australia's Got Talent. And then I realized, all right, everyone knows I'm like a mediocre beatboxer. <laughs> and then I got into Showman, this theater show that I'm in now, and they were keen for me to do more beatboxing. And I was like, oh, I should really learn how to do this properly. So I started getting lessons from this uh, champion beatboxer in Vegas named Kindo, Kindo Beatbox. And I would say properly I've been learning maybe the last year and a half, year and a half, yeah. It's not a crazy long amount of time. It's just you have to be really consistent with, with practicing. Yeah, because you're basically, yeah. it's muscle memory in a brand new way. Totally. So there's a sound called the lip roll, and it sounds like this. Now, to make that sound, I swear to everyone that it took three months of me, every moment of every day, trying to make that sound. It's a muscle in your lip that doesn't exist yet, and... To make that sound, I just had to every day make the stupidest sounds. Like my girlfriend was just like, what are you doing? We'd be in the car and I'm like making just really bad sounds with your mouth. 
like suction sounds. I, I can't even do it now because yeah, I can do I'm not this sound. Sure, I'm not. <laughs> it was just like bad, and I'm like, one day this is going to sound good. Well, I just want to say for the four months that you put into that, we really appreciated that. That was that was special. I'll never well, forget it, Josh. That's why we do it. <laughs> when it comes to all forms of entertainment, we often make judgments, which we happily hold until we've had a personal experience of this form of entertainment, whether it's music or comedy or magic, which changes our mind. So have you experienced people who have had a stereotype or a perception of magic and then you've just busted it and shattered it in front of their eyes? I feel like that happens every day. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Every day. In fact, part of the reason for my branding is on my business card, it actually says that I'm an illusionist, not magician. Mm. Now, once I'm at the event, I'll say magician all day long. But initially, when someone's booking me, I say illusionist because that already has a better perception in the general public. And it was advice I was given by another professional. But yeah, essentially, like the word magician is thrown around a lot. And that can be associated with a kid's party magician, a wedding Mm. magician, a corporate magician, a Vegas magician, a busking magician. There's just too many variations that no one really... They're just going to think back to whatever the last magician was they saw, and that's what they think you are. But illusionist is a lot less common. So they think illusionist, and they might think of the movie The Illusionist or illusions on stage. It has a better perception. On that note, then, do you think that people appreciate magic? Or do you think enough people appreciate magic? Because when you're in magic and you're performing magic and you're learning magic and you're creating magic, it is such a beautiful, wonderful ride and adventure that takes so much discipline and love and commitment to do it at a masterful level. Do you Mm. think people appreciate it or do you think that so many people just have seen a magician at age three and they're just like, trivial, nah, not interested? I think once people start watching They do appreciate it, but no one will ever appreciate it the way we appreciate it. (laughs) You know, there will be a percentage of people that at the event or at the show that will really take it in well. But of course, there are people that will just look at it as entertainment. They're like, oh, that was great. Thank you. And then they'll move on to their hors d'oeuvres or their cocktail or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, magic. I've seen this. So sometimes you get that sense. People are just like, oh, yeah, cool. Thanks. And they didn't really take it in. But I think that has a lot to do with the setting that they're watching the magic in. It's so funny. I'll use Dynamo again. Dynamo could perform the same card trick to a spectator as like a a new no-named magician, let's say, could perform to someone on the street. But the audience is going to freak out so, so much more to Dynamo doing it than this guy just because there's a different perception built up around Dynamo that it's like, Anything he does is like more impressive straight away. I've noticed that too with the bigger events that I do or the bigger brands that I'm really fortunate to get to perform for, they'll have such a bigger response to the magic just because of this different perception that they have put around what I'm doing. Yeah. Even if that's just your own show, I think the the framing of the show or how you draw them into listening to what you're saying creates a bigger impact for how they actually experience the magic. You can do a card trick and you can be really novel about it and be like, ah, pick one, ah, and it's here, ah, yeah. Or you can be like, think of any card in the whole deck, hold the the cards in your hands. You can take it really seriously and deep and then when they cut the deck to their own card, they've got this much bigger feeling of like, whoa, 
as opposed to like a novel throwaway feeling. So I've definitely experienced everything on the spectrum for that. (laughs) But again, you can't let their reaction dictate how you feel about yourself as a magician because everyone is going to react differently. Yeah, you're like, oh, we've got to take a big sigh after that. Yeah. (laughs) I could see it. I could see it. Can you please explain the magician's code for anyone that doesn't know about it? Are you even allowed to talk about the code? (laughs) About what it is? Uh oh. Cue dramatic music. There's a book series called the Tarbell Book of Magic. So, this is a series of books that if you were to read all 10 volumes or however many volumes there are, you would be a very knowledgeable magician. I still have not taken the time to read the whole thing because there's a lot in there. But if I can find the code here, it actually talks about not revealing the secrets of magic. The first line says, like, the magician's secrets. You'll love the language of this because it talks about your fellow brother magician. (laughs) 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 It basically starts off by saying, because of the nature of the magician's work, secrecy is important. The magician depends upon the mystery, which in turn depends upon secrecy. Magic is interesting just as long as the audience can be puzzled. The ability to make something happen that others no cannot happen, is necessary to the successful magician. The old-time magician guarded his mysteries with reverence and awe. And then it says at the bottom, never explain to a lay audience how your mysteries are performed and protect your brother magician by protecting his secrets. And in training as a magician, the inner secrets of the magician are entrusted to your care. So you owe it to your fellow magician as well as yourself to protect the profession. It's like Fight Club. You're not yep. supposed to share secrets, but somehow we learn secrets and, and we form more magicians. These plastic effects that we then build upon to create our own routines, they've been around for so long, they're not really ours to share. It's our job to learn them and then keep them as a secret is essentially what the code is. Yeah. Whether that's followed these days, I don't know. Social media has busted it up a lot, but I have a moral dilemma for you based on the code. Oh, boy. <laughs> Okay, so what do you do if a father comes up to you after a show and says, amazing, 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 I loved it, I would love to teach it to my eight-year-old son, can you show me? I think I mentioned earlier, like, YouTube is a good platform to learn, like, introductory magic. We've got the handball here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. If the father came up and said that to me, I'm not going to teach him the best thing that I know that it's going to take him a year of learning to do. I'm probably going to go with some kind of party trick that's something that I'm okay with him learning because it's like a basic thing that you would find in like a library, a bookstore, like 101 magic tricks. I'd probably show him something like that, something novel, something introductory that I would be okay with. Because like the more magic that gets out there, the more people see magic, the better it is for everyone. So I would probably show him just something easy that he can show his son and then kind of leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good answer. What would you do? Good answer. I would say, (laughs) do you want to become a magician? And then they would say, no. And I say, I'm sorry. I would say, sorry, I can't do it. I would say, unless is your child here and do they want to learn magic? And if I can teach it directly to them and they genuinely want to become a magician, that would sort of be how Mm. I'd sit around that. There's a good line you can kind of use. It's cheeky, but you can say, when they say, oh, can you teach me how to do a trick? And you can be like, 
I don't know, can you keep a secret? And they go, yeah, I can. And then you go, so can I. And then yes, you walk away. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <sighs> that is a good one. Uh, can I answer the question again? Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's, talking about the title of this podcast, Women in Magic, mm. there is clearly an imbalance between men and women in the magic industry. Why do you think the scales are so out of whack? That's such an open question. Where do we begin? You know, I saw something interesting. Knowing I was coming on this podcast, it was so timely There was a post about the magic circle in the UK and it's only been since, I want to say, 1992 that they actually allowed females to become members of the club. It was always like a men's club before that. And only this year has the first ever female been awarded like the president of the magic circle. So a female is the president of the magic circle in the UK right now, but it's the first time that's ever happened which is super interesting. It's great. Times are changing and that's awesome. But like, oh my God, it's taken a long time. Really long time. So the initial question is why the imbalance? Yeah. Why do you think it's so out of whack? Because the industry is very different to a lot of others and you only really learn it when you're in it. Yeah. That there's yeah, just yeah. way more, way more men. I mean, you can see it from the outside, but once you're in it, you're like, wow. Yeah. It's a weird one. Hey, I would love to see more women in magic getting their time whether it's on TV or just whatever they want to do in the successfulness of it. When I was coming up, it would have been great to see other female magicians learning alongside everyone else in Brisbane here anyway. Like in, definitely in Brisbane, like I haven't come across many female magicians. There's a small handful. But one thing that comes to mind is like when you're a kid, I'm just going to speak for myself. When you're a young boy and you learn a magic trick and you realize that can impress people or dare I say can impress girls. It's a very intriguing thing to learn, but I've never heard a girl say, I'm going to learn a magic trick to impress someone I like, you know, from a young age, there's a weird thing where we're trying to get these skills or abilities or ways to stand out in front of our peers. And I have personally found it's, tend to be more guys that feel that insecurity of maybe magic can fill that void. Mm. So from a young age, I think that's maybe where it begins internally. It has to have something to do with it. But then definitely, yeah, as we get older and actually get into it, the role model thing is definitely a thing that's a factor. There weren't a lot of female magicians to be a role model. And so I guess when you look at magicians there's not really someone for a female to to look at and go, oh, I'm going to be like her. Yeah. And then the other thing is magic isn't really designed to be performed by females in terms of the props that we use. Classic magic would use a top hat, would use these big men's wallets. You know, everything would be described as how to conceal the thing in your, in your jacket and, uh, you know, yeah. and it's all very described for like menswear, that definitely would uh, stop you Yeah, being able to learn or interested in learning a lot of the magic, especially back then. These days, suits and stuff aren't required as much for magic, but definitely back then, like I can imagine reading a thing and it's like, you must palm the card into your inner breast pocket and then pull out your, <laughs> your suit wallet and da-da-da. And if I was a female reading that, I'd be like, well, okay, can't do any of that stuff. <laughs> 
We actually spoke outside of this podcast about the fact that I would never use just a plain, sad, brown or black wallet. I need sparkles. I need glitter. I need... Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, yes, you raise a very excellent point there. (laughs) Yes. So, between those things, I think that's played a pretty big factor. These days... Slowly, it's been great to see. I mean, there's still, I don't feel like there's still that time of day waiting for the first like real world known female magician. I don't think that's happened yet. Like the Copperfields or the David Blaine's Dynamo, that kind of thing. I think there's still a place for the first female house named brand magician, but certainly there's great acts coming up now. Places like America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent stuff have been great for showcasing these females doing really great magic. But yeah, slowly, I am seeing more and more really great acts, but it's a slow process. Yeah. But locally, I think it's still an issue locally. Like if I was to go to our local magic club, I'm not seeing more than two females there, you know? Yeah. Because there are amazingly, incredibly talented female magicians across the world that I am discovering through this podcast. But if I mentioned their names, most people know them, which is... Mm. Mm, yeah, true. Which means there is a lot of room for growth, but also ask the question, why? Yeah. yeah. Do you think that the magic industry can do anything to encourage more females in? The magic industry as a whole, I don't know who's like the in-charge person to be able to <laughs> make that decision, but but I will say when I went to... Uh, is that Wait, is there not a name in Tarbell's series? No? Oh. Hang on a second. Uh, Di Vernon, I think, but he's he's, uh, he's gone now. So Magic Live, one of the biggest magic conventions in the world where we all come together and geek out for a week doing magic. They have seminars every day and they bring on great people to like lecture and talk about magic. And then they have a gala where they showcase magic from around the world that we wouldn't normally have the chance to go and see live. And when I went to this gala, so this is held in Vegas, the most talked about act was the female dove magic manipulating act. And she's from Korea and she did the most incredible act I've ever seen. Got a standing ovation. Everyone had goosebumps. And she was like the most talked about act. And then I believe she went to win FISM. She won an award at FISM last year, which... The Muggles is the Olympics of magic. But uh, imagine this. We've heard about producing doves before. We don't work with doves that much these days. People are all, oh, how are they being treated? (laughs) They get Mm. treated way better than us. (laughs) Typically, if you were learning a dove act, you would need a big jacket because I'm not going to say why, but doves, they get cold and they need jackets. But this girl came out in a sparkly, body-tight, leotard like full body leotard costume that has no jacket you know uh would be very cold and somehow she starts producing multiple doves and then at one point she goes upside down so she's doing a handstand and she produces a we call it a silk fountain it looks like you have a silk you start shaking it more and more silk start to flow out of it kind of like a flower blooming and it keeps changing colors. It's really beautiful to watch. She's doing this with her feet. Like she's upside down and her foot is doing this, is doing the shaking. And then at the end of the silk fountain, a dove pops out of the silk and it's sitting on her foot and she's upside down still. Wow. 
And then her other foot comes over, grabs the dove, and she splits it into two doves upside down. We're like, where does a dove come from when you're upside down and it's just your bare foot? It's freaking magic, man. Anyway, people went crazy. So in terms of like the magic community as a whole, in that moment, that was great because that was a massive majority of the magic community and they all just saw like how amazing that was. And now, no doubt, she'll be touring that act for the rest of her life. Like it was incredible. I don't know the answer how the magic community can sort of encourage it more other than spotlighting the female talents that are out there maybe more. I think I shared with you, there was a festival that I can't remember where that specifically focuses on women in magic. That was really cool. That was really great. Yeah, yeah I mean, slowly, I think slowly it'll, it'll keep happening, you know. We just need good magic. Whoever's going to do that, that's what we need, you know. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. You're amazing. And I can't wait until I actually see you in person, but it's been an absolute joy. Thank you for sharing everything that you've so generously shared today. My pleasure. Best of luck with your podcast. If anyone's interested, oh. the magic guys, quite conflicting to women in magic, <laughs> the magic guys, <laughs> we do a podcast as well. Love seeing more magic getting spread around. I think you're doing a great job and I look forward to your uh, magic special, magic for strangers. And I believe there's something else that you'd like to share with me, <laughs> with our listeners. The theatre show that I'm a part of, Showman, we're playing in the biggest theatre in our hometown, which is called QPAC. Really looking forward to that and bringing magic just to like a bigger audience. That's the next thing, I guess, coming up for me that I'm yep. excited and nervous and, and uh, anxious about. It's going to be fun here in Brisbane. But um, but yeah, then you catch me in different states. I think we're in Perth and and uh, Canberra and maybe Melbourne later Ooh, this year. Amazing. I can't wait to see you on stage. No doubt. And it will finally uh, reunite in person once again. Yes, yes. I cannot wait. Thank you so much, Josh. You are a legend. My pleasure. To learn more about Josh's magic, you can find a link to his website, his tour showmen, and links to his social media accounts in the episode show notes. Thank you so much for listening and joining our adventure. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a star rating and a review because it will absolutely help spread the magic to more people. Catch you next episode.